Have you ever been not paying enough attention to what you're doing? I think about that periodically when I get off the freeway at my house. Our freeway off-ramp has a pretty hard right turn. And every once in a while I notice that as I'm turning right, somebody else went straight right through the bushes and got back on the freeway, apparently. If you're not paying attention, my freeway off-ramp, you run into the bushes. Now, I can't criticize people too much because there was that time where I wasn't paying attention and walked straight into a pole. So it's very important to pay attention to what you're doing. If we don't pay attention to where we're going, we can end up in trouble. It's true of driving, it's true of walking, and it's true of life. And the passage that we're gonna look at today is all about whether or not you're paying enough attention to the direction you're headed. So we're gonna be looking at some passages out of Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse one. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Then we're gonna jump down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So the point of the passage is that we are going somewhere, actively or passively. Even if you never get up off the couch, you're headed somewhere. And Paul encourages us in verse 16 to walk by the Spirit and verse 25 to keep in step with the Spirit because we're on this journey. So where are we headed? Wait, before you answer the question, don't tell me, show me. That's far more important. Because notice that none of the things that Paul lists, either positive or negative, have anything to do with what we say. They're all about posture. They're about our inner life, our real selves, and about our actions. Because it's really easy to say something, it's much more difficult to live like that's true. Last week we talked about that something is being formed in us. We're either being formed by Christ or we're being deformed by something else. So this is kind of the follow-up on that, that we're headed off in a direction that's either going to be forming or deforming. Paul talks about there being two forces, flesh versus the spirit. 
And that's worth a little bit of discussion because it's a Greek word that doesn't really translate well into English as one word or even a phrase. Uh, what it isn't is that the body is bad and the spirit is good. Because one of the things that characterizes Judaism and Christianity is that God is in the process of redeeming our whole selves, body, spirit, and soul. So we get our bodies back in the resurrection, hopefully slightly better, but it's recognizably you. Resurre resurrection of the spirit isn't really Christian, it's more Gnosticism or even Neoplatonic thought. So it's not like spirit is good, flesh is bad, that kind of thing. It's more, flesh, maybe a good definition of that would be who we are left to our own desires. If we hadn't had an experience with God, what are the things you might do? Uh, what are the things you might think? Who were you before you had an encounter with God? Our flesh is kind of our basest desires. It's, it's as if our brainstem were in charge and our prefrontal uh, cortex never got engaged. That's kind of what the flesh is. And so Paul talks about these two things, the flesh and the spirit being at war. Now, we've talked about war before. We've talked about how the powers of good and the power of evil are uh, in conflict in the world and in the universe. And what Paul is talking about is kind of a subset of that war. It's a little more personal. There is this war going on inside of us, the flesh versus, versus the spirit. And anyone who has ever tried to make any sort of decision will recognize that that's true. And maybe you gave up sweets for Lent, but wow, ice cream sounds so good right now. That's the flesh versus the spirit. Or you know that if you just rationalize this one business decision, you'll make a boatload of money, on which you'll tithe, of course. So we all know what that fight is like between the flesh and the spirit, between our basest instinct and the part of us that Jesus is in the process of reforming. But here's what we don't always grasp about that, and that is that the choices we make have implications. They have ramifications. They cause other things to happen. We will end up being like one of two things. We will either end up being like our basest pre-Jesus selves, our flesh, or like Jesus, because that's the goal of the Spirit in our lives. So let's take a closer look at this now that we understand what's going on and what Paul's major point is. So the key to the passage, and as we're seeing the key to the entire book of Galatians, is really verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's Paul's theme throughout the whole book. He's talking about how Jesus has set us free from the yoke of the law, from slavery to legalism. So he hits that thing again. We are free. That's what Christ has done for us. But what exactly is freedom? Because sometimes we think that freedom means that we can do anything we want to do. That, but that's not true. Freedom doesn't mean that there are no boundaries. Freedom isn't anarchy. That would just be frightening. And anarchy in and of itself is its own kind of bondage. So if freedom isn't anarchy, and if it isn't with something without boundaries, what exactly is it? Well, we could talk about a lot of different things, but we're gonna confine ourselves to discussion about theological freedom and the freedom of our wills. So 
I've discovered that theologically, freedom makes people nervous. People feel like there need to be rules. There needs to be boundary lines and black and white in their faith and in their belief system. And we struggle with this as covenanters because as covenanters, we don't have a lot of black and white. We have just a few of them. And it makes people a little bit nervous to not have firm boundary lines. It reminds me of the year that I lived in Chicago. It made me nervous. I was anxious all year long because it was just too wide open for me. I need mountains, I need something, or the ocean. I need something to break up the space. And I think people feel like that theologically. We generally want rules. But what's interesting is that we want rules for other people, usually. So when we're talking about, as we will be talking about lists of vices or lists of the flesh, um, you know, we're against those things. But if we want to be completely honest, especially if we're talking about our own addictions and our own weaknesses, most of the time we want rules for other people because there are things in our community that would probably be on that list that we tolerate. We tolerate complaining. Nobody calls that out very often. We tolerate backsliding. We tolerate all sorts of things that the Bible would call sexual immorality. We tolerate lack of generosity because those are our community norms. And even though it's not super Christian, it kind of is what it is. And that's why we talk about things like this sometimes because every once in a while, it's good to hold up the mirror to ourselves because it's more difficult to look at what our deal might be it's more difficult than it is to just point out everybody else's faults. So in the covenant, we don't have a whole lot of black and whites, which to some people sounds super wishy-washy. And I'm like, yeah, being a covenanter is not for everybody. We're not gonna lay down a whole bunch of rules. Basically, we're gonna say, trust the spirit, trust the Bible, trust the body of Christ, reading their Bibles and discerning God's will together. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. There's no life in rules. There's life when we follow Jesus. But the key with all of that is keeping in step with the Spirit because there are choices to be made and those choices have implications. Paul says, be careful what you do with your freedom. So we've jumped down to verse 13 now. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So what Paul is describing here is what's actually happening in his situation. The first issue that he has to deal with is contentious relationships within the church. So we are free to indulge the flesh and destroy ourselves and other people, or we're free to love each other. And whether we're following the flesh or whether we're following the spirit, the first and most important illustration is what it does to the community. How chasing the flesh versus chasing the spirit affects the people that are close to us. It's true of the church, it's true of your family, it's true of the organization you work for, it's true of your friend group. You can either develop a community where everyone is in a faction and constantly tearing each other down, or you can develop a community that's built on loving and caring for each other. And when you put it like that, it's pretty obvious which way to go. But it is like that. You can either develop a a system where people are tearing each other down or a system where 
people are building people up. And we need to think about this even in the church because just because we're a church doesn't mean we get it right. Churches get it wrong a lot, especially when they focus on things that aren't the gospel. They end up being enslaved more to the flesh than they are to the spirit. And I think that's a challenge for the church because in general culture, I think we've become associated with a whole lot more stuff than loving God and loving our neighbors. One of the things I love about our church is how we've been able to navigate some difficult waters over the past couple of years and been able to keep focused on what the most important thing is, loving and serving God, loving and serving other people. But the point of it is we have a choice how to use our freedom and the choice will create something in us and it will create a certain type of community. Verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. So we need to acknowledge that there is this war that is going on inside of us. And if we don't actively choose to walk by the Spirit, we will at least have passively chosen to live by the flesh. But here's the thing. I love this image that I was given. I don't even know how long ago. Life is not paid out in $100 bills. It's paid out in quarters. What do I mean by that? That means that most of us get the really big decisions right. The $100 issues, we generally do okay with that. Most of us wouldn't renounce our faith even in front of a firing squad. Most of us fight for our marriages. Most of us don't steal or embezzle or commit fraud. Most of us are there for our kids. Most of us try to be good friends. We get the big stuff right generally. If it requires a hundred bucks, we're in. But the deal is most of life doesn't require a hundred bucks. Most of life is paid out in quarters, a little bit here, a little bit there, and it ultimately adds up to a hundred bucks, but by the time you've paid a hundred bucks in quarters, you might be in a very different place having spent a hundred bucks that way. When we don't get the big decisions right, it's generally because we can look back and see a trail of very small decisions that were not good choices. And those small decisions led to a bad place. Nobody gets up in the morning and out of the blue says, I'm gonna throw away 25 years of marriage today on a whim. When the final decision gets made, it's because there were a million little decisions along the way that ultimately led to us cheating on our spouse. And most of the time, we didn't even see that we were walking down that path because it happens so gradually. Eric Fromm, the great psychologist, uh, wrote a book called The Heart of Man. And in it, he talks about how no one starts out evil. Instead, people become evil slowly over time through a long series of choices. Fromm writes, the longer we continue to make the wrong decisions, the more our hearts harden. The more often we make the right decisions, the more our hearts soften, or better perhaps, become alive. Most people fail in the art of living, not because they are inherently bad or so without will that they cannot lead a better life. They fail because they do not wake up and see when they stand at a fork in the road and have to decide. 
we don't clearly see that we're making choices that put us on one path or another. We make little decisions all day long, and all those little decisions place us on a path where we will become one thing or another. And one day we wake up and there we are. It could be a day where everything was perfectly set up for you to fly off the handle and you didn't. And nobody's more shocked by that than you are. Or your kid does that thing that they do and you don't criticize them. And you're like, wow, I guess maybe Jesus really is changing me on the inside. But it's because you made a million different decisions to walk that path, little ones. So when the big thing came, it was already being formed inside of you. Unless there be any doubt about what following the flesh or following the spirit looks like, Paul makes some lists for us. In verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live in this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he contrasts that with the spirit flesh versus spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now let's be honest here. There are some fun, fun sounding things on the list of the acts of the flesh. And mostly those ideas stem from us not wanting to be told what to do if we want to do that thing. But bring that back to what we've been talking about. Even the things that sound like they're fun will ultimately lead us to a bad place. And keep in mind, too, that if you get to do these things, so does everybody else. It's not just you doing these things to other people, it's other people doing those things to you. Now, we could just go, this is pretty simple. Here's a list of things you need to stop doing, and here's a list of things you need to start doing. But we've already seen that won't be helpful. It'll just be another legalism. And you already know what you should do and what you shouldn't do, and so do I. The issue is that we have a tendency to do them anyway. So I think this is a great list of what many of us struggle with. And Paul lists a bunch of things, and on there, you can probably find your own addiction. You can probably find your own weakness, your Achilles heel. The first thing that has to happen if we want to start living in the other direction and put that stuff that's dragging us down behind is acknowledge that we have a problem. Every alcoholic knows that they can't get better until they're willing to acknowledge that they're an alcoholic. Maybe you have rage issues. Maybe you're consumed with jealousy for what other people have and you don't. Maybe you're happiest when you're stirring up trouble. Maybe the internet poses unending problems for you. Some of that stuff that are addictions or weaknesses, some of that stuff will be relatively easy to work on. We just need to decide to be on a different path and begin to choose to walk the other path towards the spirit. Other stuff, honestly, it's gonna take therapy. It's gonna take accountability. It's gonna take prayer. It's gonna take new habits. It's going to take determination. It's going to take the power of the Spirit in our lives to help us break those addictions, to help us live a new life. But we can always, no matter how hard the path is, we can always make the choice to start, to start moving down the different path of the Spirit. 
Because the whole point of Jesus coming is to break the bondages of our weaknesses and our addictions and our sins, to break those bondages, to set us free from sin and death and to lead us into a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is awesome. Who wouldn't want to have a life filled with joy? But one of the things that I find interesting about the list of the fruit of the Spirit is what's missing from the list. I mean, you'd think that there would be some things on the list, like one of the fruits of the Spirit is taking care of widows and orphans, but it's not super specific. I think what's going on is that Paul isn't so concerned about how things work out in practice as much as he is about our posture. Here's what I mean by that. The common denominator for the list of vices is that they're all self-centered. It's about what I want, not what might be best for other people. The common denominator for the list of the fruit of the Spirit is that they're selfless, not self-centered, and they show a concern for other people. So Paul is calling us to this new posture, to this new path, all in response to and reflecting God's selfless love shown to us in Jesus. So live into the Spirit. And maybe one of the things that we could ask ourselves as we look at the little choices that we make over and over and over again through the day is, if I do this thing, will it bring love, joy, and peace? Or will it bring strife and factionalism to myself and to the people that I hang around with? And anytime our answer is, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do, we are already off on the wrong path. One of the most irritating pieces of advice I was ever given was also one of the most life-transforming for me. One person whom I respect deeply, in the midst of a crisis that, that we were facing uh, in the leadership team, talked to me afterwards and reminded me that we must always be gracious because we want to be like Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times when I deal with people or when I deal with situations, whether it's talking to my wife or my kids or my friends or from the pulpit or representing the church or being in the checkout line at Safeway and something irritates me, I remember this person saying, we must always be gracious. And that piece of advice goes completely against the grain a lot of time because I want to indulge my basis nature. I don't want to be gracious. I just want to point out what a jerk you're being right now or how inconvenient this is for me. And then I hear this voice that I have come to associate with the Holy Spirit, even though I hear this person's uh, voice saying it, we must always be gracious. And little by little, over time, as I keep being gracious instead of doing what I really wanted to do, I find it's easier to be gracious. And I find myself further down the road of the spirit and not quite as far down the road of the flesh. And it brings me life. It makes me realize that I've been set free from some of the stuff that was a bondage in the past. So let me ask you three questions. What's one weakness that you can identify in your life? Number two, What's one small choice you can make this week to put you in step with the Spirit? And number three, what is an area of your life where you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit?
Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.